You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi. My name is Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to my podcast, You Can't Say That, the podcast where you can, on the Broadway Podcast Network. If you're of a certain age, you remember learning about the world sitting at the feet of your family or being in the other room and listening in. And you found out about your community by just eavesdropping on the conversations of the adults around you. And you even found out about people who didn't share your values by the bill collectors who came to the house or listening to one side of conversations where you could sense the tension of a family member. But now that everybody texts, we don't, we don't get to have that very often, and our lives are very curated by um, who we decide we want to talk to, follow, or listen to. So I have loved, you know, that community of people who are different from me, and I curate relationships, I guess, with people who don't share my point of view, and that would bring me to my next guest. <laughs> we tend to disagree about everything. We've known each other for, gosh, a long time, since high school. Since high school. Um, He has worked in law enforcement for over 30 years, beginning with a 28-year career with the Chicago Police Department, rising through the ranks of patrolman, sergeant, lieutenant, and commander. And during his career with the Chicago Police Department, he was selected as a sergeant to attend the department's first executive development program, a think tank for what is considered the future leaders of the Chicago Police Department. Um, Join me in welcoming John Franklin. Hey, John, how are you? Hey, Tanya. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure (laughs) to see you. How are you doing? I am, I guess today I'm trying to figure out like who's benefiting from all the coronavirus hype. What's Mm. what's, what's the word, word like there in Chicago? Well, you know, being in that age group where it affects people the most now, 60, 
of course, I'm concerned about it. Uh, my wife's concerned about it. And, you know, a lot of my friends are like me, retired police officers. So, uh, but don't y'all get a little about. extra information like you're in a club that don't y'all get the real story that we don't get in the media? No, uh, believe it or not, we're just now starting to get to move the to move the needle forward on that and in, in that part uh, regarding uh, prevention techniques or whatever prevention uh, clothing you know to do to uh, prevent catching this or spreading it around. So it's interesting. Uh, it's scary times, obviously, because nobody wants to get it, and being in the age group where it affects people the worst. Of course, I'm apprehensive about it, you know. Well, I, um, I feel like I want to get it and recover from it, so then I have the antibodies. Well, let's hope that happens. Yeah. You know, but uh, <laughs> we, we are still seeing fatalities, so, I mean, it's scary. I mean, uh, I've, I've been following Tom Hanks and his wife getting it. We're in that same age group as them, and uh, it's, it's scary stuff. Oh, you know? well, let's forget about that. Let's talk about <laughs> Policing. So I don't know if you know this, but July 13, 2013 was a no. day that changed my life. Um, it was, I remember exactly where I was. I was in the lobby of the public theater. Um, I uh -huh. had met a writer right there in the thing. We had just heard that um, Zimmerman was acquitted for uh, the death of Trayvon Martin. And yes. Uh, as a mother of three black boys, it was so devastating. And so even though I fully expected that would, would happen, it was so um, unacceptable to me as a person, as a mother, that I made this personal vow that I was not going to protect white people's feelings anymore. And what that really meant for me was that I feel like, at least for me, um, most Black people I know are always going around having to watch white people living in this sort of bubble of what the world is like and having to pretend while they're with them that the world that they are, they are living in is one that they're living in. And I was just like, no, not doing it anymore. And I've always been a person who was giving you a little dose of the truth. But then it was like, no, you're just getting it straight on the way most people I'm around see it. I'm not going to enter into this pretend world that maybe is really your world, but the most of us don't live in it. So that got me to talking to you, John, because you, I thought he's blue. He's going to be on my side. But no, you are blue, blue, blue through and through. No, I'm not. Listen, <laughs> I, I'm blue and I'm also black. And uh, uh, I've lived, you know, I've walked that line in both worlds all my life. Being a cop and being a black man in, in America. In Chicago. You know, and my father was a police officer in Chicago. I know. I know. Um, I'm the only member of my my family that's ever been in the police department. So this was all new to me. Regarding uh, Trayvon Martin and Zimmerman, you know, emotionally, we think it's terrible anyway. Anytime a black child has to die or pay the ultimate sacrifice by, in a violent encounter. And it's shameful. Uh Zimmerman had a lot of issues with that incident. Uh, he initiated it by uh, calling in on Trayvon, calling the police on Trayvon when Trayvon hadn't committed any crime other than, you know, being black and being suspicious to Zimmerman. Uh, at the same time, the, uh, the dispatcher told Zimmerman, you don't need to follow him. We know all the facts. What do you think about this verdict? But remember, uh, and this is the part that a lot of people fail to understand, Trayvon Martin was fearful 
noticing Zimmerman following him. And Zimmerman obviously had no police training, was doing a pretty lousy job of trying to make himself inconspicuous. At the same time, if Trayvon was fearful of Zimmerman following him, and he called his girlfriend. If uh, Trayvon, Mr. Ma- young man, Mr. Martin, being fearful of some you know strange uh, man, white man following him who didn't know, he didn't know what the purpose was, really should have called the police. Call the police. Felt- Call the police, please. He should have. Oh, come on. No. Come Listen. on. He knew the police wasn't showing up in time to help him anyway. Listen, he's 17. I don't know what he knew or didn't know. But I'm not going to call my girlfriend if some man is following me and I'm fearful of his intentions or his purpose. Well, let me tell you, I don't call the police for anything. And if they knock on my door, I'm not answering. What could his girlfriend have done to help him call She would have been a witness, a truthful witness. Yeah, she, she didn't help him. The police could have helped him. How would the police help him? They'd have been on the phone. He was in 911. If he had called the police, Tanya. But first of all, he wouldn't have gotten the police. He would have gotten 911, right? Tanya, if he had called the police, police might have said, listen, we got a call in that same area. We're going to be there shortly. Look out for us. We got a squad car in your area right now coming in that direction. So you think it's Trayvon's fault for not calling the police? I didn't say it was his fault. I'm saying he reacted improperly. He but I would not him. ever tell my children to call the police for anything. Why I'd, did you not tell them to do that? Because I don't trust the police. My okay, father was a know, police. I don't trust okay, the police. Look what he did. He attacked Zimmerman, banging his head on the ground. He which attacked Zimmerman. The man had a gun. He attacked Zimmerman, which left Zimmerman with no choice but to fire upon him. Are you kidding me? That's what happened, Tanya. Were you there? Tanya, that is what happened. So he initiated, you're saying Trayvon Martin initiated the attack. He he did initiate the attack. And remember, they had their controversial stand your ground law. So here's, here's, no, 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 listen. Just be reasonable. Here is Zimmerman, who should have been doing what he's doing, but he's out there following this young black kid around. The black kid decides to go up and confront him physically. Challenge How do we know that happened? Physically. He's dead. We don't know that. Tanya. Do we have a camera? Tanya, the Zimmerman had injuries to the back of his head where he was head was banged against the concrete repeatedly. Now, what is he supposed to do under the law but defend himself? His head didn't look banged against no concrete. I didn't see no blood it puddles because if I bang someone's like head on the concrete... Tanya, read the reports. Read what the police said. I don't believe the police. Well, I don't Tanya, believe their reports. Okay, T- Tanya, you're going to have to believe somebody. Okay, he initiated the physical confrontation. Trayvon did. Why didn't his girlfriend say that? uh, Listen, Tanya, he did. And under the stand your ground law, talk to you, John. This is why I like talking to you. Under the stand your ground law, Tanya Zimmerman had no choice, and it was it was found reasonable, and that's why he was acquitted. We're never going to agree about these things. Whether we agree about it or not, Tanya, the facts are the facts. I don't believe facts like that. I think those facts get get created Tanya, by the people to serve whatever purpose or end Tanya, they want them to be. They he had a bandage. They had to put a bandage on Zimmerman's a head. A bandaid. If I bang your head against the concrete, you're gonna need more than a bandaid. Tanya, <laughs> he should not have initiated physical contact with him. He was a fear for he was a fear for Zimmerman and fear of what he was wanted to do, fear of his purpose while he was following. Him. He should have called nine one one. That's considered a reasonable response. Not turning around and grabbing a man and banging his head against the ground when, man, when Zimmerman did not initiate any physical contact against against Trayvon Martin. So is it possible that he didn't turn around and bang his head? Maybe he said, "Yo, 
get back because that's what you're trained to do when you're um, that's what I was trained in self-defense that when someone is following you you're supposed to turn around you're supposed to confront them and you're supposed to issue a command so maybe it started with a command and Zimmerman approached him and then he had to be physical because we don't know because Trayvon is dead he initiated physical contact which led to the shooting so says I don't like it a lot of people don't like it but that's what happened yeah, I, I, we I have, don't, we don't know. You know what, Tanya? We have to teach our kids what's the right thing to do, what they should do. What is the right thing okay. to do? We should call the police we if we're in trouble. Call the police. Call the police. If you're going to have this attitude of I'm not calling the police for nothing, I'm not going to trust the police, you may find yourself in, in a problem. I guess I am because I'm not I'm not helping them. I'm not answering their questions. They knock on my door for help. I'm not home. I'm going to disappear. See, I, I'm I'm a, I'm a child of a police officer. Well, I don't know what to tell you, Tanya. <laughs> OK, Remember, so let's go to the the, um, you know, the chokehold. OK, chokeholds are illegal. Not in Can New York. Do. They're illegal in New York. They're you're saying legal or illegal? They're illegal in New York. So, but that that officer did was that justice for that officer? He who did eventually get suspended, right? That officer eventually got terminated. Okay, so that's good. You you think that was right? But oh, definitely. Okay, definitely. I'm glad we could worry re- re- about. I mean, that. Gardner wasn't even selling cigarettes at the time they confronted him. He had had a history of going out there selling loose cigarettes, but he wasn't even selling cigarettes at the time the officers confronted him. So what do you think happened and why were the, was there so many people confronting this unarmed man? There was, you know, Tanya, six officers. Uh, I believe, my opinion, the NYPD overreacted to the situation. Okay. Overreaction. Overreacted. So what is it like for you as a police officer when all these things are happening with your, you know, your your club and what is there a response that's you know negative towards you as that happens with the blue you know there's these blue lives matter black guns matter signs how does that impact you um doing what you you do what you love what you've dedicated your life to tanya i've always enjoyed being a policeman for the most part enjoyed Uh, I have enjoyed it. Listen, I have I have caught two offenders in the act of attempting to rape women on the streets. I have apprehended at least four or five murderers in my career. I have apprehended burglars, carjackers, car thieves, uh, sex offenders, child molesters. You name it. I've done it. So I've, I've helped a lot of people out. You know, I'll tell you a story. One time I was uh, getting my hair cut in a barbershop in Hyde Park. And I was sitting next to a guy. A guy was in the other barber chair. And there was a woman sitting there. Uh, she was with him. And I paid her no mind. And the lady just started talking to me. And she said, I know you. I said, ma'am, I don't think so. She says, no, I know you. You're a police officer. I said, yes, ma'am. And she told her man who was in the other barber chair next to me, this is the one I told you about. He said, really? She said, yeah. And I'm wondering where this is going to go, right? (laughs) Yeah, this could go bad. (laughs) Yeah. The guy gets out of the chair and walks up to me and says, I want to shake your hand. Were you scared when he just got up out the chair? Well, you know, I was armed. I was, you know, I had my smock on, but I, you know, I wasn't too worried, you know, but I didn't know how things were going to go. Okay. He's a well-dressed guy. She was a well-dressed woman. Anyway, I didn't recognize her. Got a call one time, a rape in progress. And when I got there, the woman was in the backyard and she was hysterical. She had a robe on. She told me she went to throw her garbage out. She got back in her apartment, 
She had a robe on. She's about to go take a shower. She came into her bathroom. There's a man in her bathroom. Got into her apartment while she was throwing the garbage out. Because she only had a robe on, you know, he attempted to rape her. She started screaming, fighting, resisting. Guy ran off. Neighbors heard her screaming, called the police. Well, I get there and she's hysterical. And the guy ran off. I see a, a pinstripe suit, a sport jacket laying in the backyard. I said, is that his? She says, yeah. And, but she's hysterical. She's clearly upset about what happened. I said, look, miss, I know you're upset, but I need you to calm down and tell me who I'm looking for so we can catch this guy. He's got to be in the area. I need you to calm down. Just tell me what it looks like. She's okay. He's about 5'9". He's bald. He had that. He had a suit on. That's a sport jacket. That's okay. I put this flash message out. My sergeant gets on the air and says, John, I just been flagged down by a bus driver, claims there's a robbery victim on his bus. You might want to come over here. So I come over to the bus. The guy has discarded his shirt, but he has on the pinstripe suit pants. Mm. And he's telling the bus driver he just got robbed. Mm. Well, people on the bus are upset because this man's claiming he just got robbed. I told him, turn around, mister. He said, well, I turn around. I put the cuffs on. People said, officer, officer, he didn't do anything wrong. He, I said, ma'am, you don't know what happened here. I said, he's wanted. Mm. He just attempted to commit a rape. And people were all upset on the bus. You taking off the wrong man. I said, ma'am, I know what I'm doing. Just calm down. I took him off the bus, took him back to the scene. Because you can do a show up within 20, 30 minutes. And a woman went to pieces when she saw him. That's him. Oh, my God. And again, his pants match a suit coat that was a sport jacket that was lying in her backyard. Five, nine balls, just like she described. Took him in, got him charged. She was kind of poor back then. She didn't really have a lot of money. I see she was kind of struggling. I went to court one day out in Markham Court, and she didn't show up. So I called her. I said, ma'am, this is Officer Franklin. Why weren't you in court? She said, Officer Franklin, I had no way to get out to Markham. I don't have a car. I have no means to get out there. I said, look, ma'am, I got a continuance. If you don't mind, I will come by your house and pick you up, and I will take you to court. Because I really want to see this guy get off. So I drove her to court every appearance, and that man got sentenced to 12 years for attempted rape. I completely forgot about that case. Now she's dating this guy, and now, you know, she looks a lot better. You know, she's much more affluent than she was before. She's dressing nicer, you know, makeup, all that sort of thing. The guy's well-dressed. I didn't even recognize her, but she remembered me in that barbershop in Hyde Park. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply well i guess that's why i talked to you because you're you're a good guy well, I would like to think most of us are good guys. I don't know, Tanya. John. I don't know, John. Come on. Some of the things that Tanya, we read about in the Tanya, paper that your fellow most of officers us, do. Tanya, the vast majority of us start out 
wanting to do the right thing and doing the right thing, working hard and serving the communities that, that have given us the trust to work with them and for them. Okay. Now, I'm not going to say cops don't get disillusioned after an amount of time out there. And, you know, it's hard to find a lot of love out there in the streets these days. It's not like in New York where everybody loves to see the police and backhands them. And, I don't think that's true. Oh, well, listen, police, police get a lot of, police get a lot of support. At least the, when I visit New York, police, I see are loved out there. I, I don't, don't know feel, anybody who loves the But don't you think that that's based in the Daily Machine and gunning down Fred Hampton? I mean, we know the police did that. So, you know. Well, Tanya, that was a long time ago. But it's still part of the police legacy. I I, I get that. I get that. I mean, uh, you know, I watched the movie Selma. I wasn't there, but I watched the movie. I mean, it was terrible how people were treated in nonviolent marches. Uh, Bull Connor, you know, sticks, bats. Uh, beating people down on a bridge, fire hoses, dogs. Uh, you know, our first police department, our first police agencies formed in this country were slave patrols Absolutely. in 1704. Yes. So, I mean, you know, and I hate to, I have to quote a man here, a brilliant guy, a former deputy superintendent of Chicago, Chuck Ramsey, who was who went on to become chief of uh, the Washington, D.C. Metro PD. And was uh, served as the Philadelphia police chief for about eight or nine years. He said, we just don't have a very good history uh, between law enforcement and African-American communities. But I think there are a lot of people out here working to change that every day. And uh, You're a true believer in the blue, huh? Well, I have to be. Because if I don't believe what I'm doing, what have I done for the last 36 years, Tanya? If I don't believe it, why am I still bothering? You know, I've retired after a 28-year career in Chicago. I've been a chief twice in two different uh, municipalities. I've been a chief of a south suburb of Chicago. I've been a chief of a a city in the the southern part of the U.S. for the last 18 months. I mean, you know, if I didn't like what I do, why would I keep doing it? I guess I just, John, I, I feel like, you know, these are like secret societies, these cops. And, you know, I read about the LAPD where they, they literally target other officers who, um, you know, don't go along with the program, which is, you know. Tanya, oh, Tanya listen, I've, I've caught hell in my career for not going along with the program. Uh, like what? Oh, uh, I worked with a guy once. They put me with this guy and he was. For lack of a better description, he was a bum. I just can't describe him any other way. 20-year veteran, uh, worked straight nights, uh, got in the car and told me, basically put his hat over his eyes, said, look, kid, I'll take lunch at 5 o'clock and went to sleep. Uh, Got in a car with a brown bag, put the bag under the seat. Bag had three bottles of Heineken. He drank them all during tour duty. Now, here I'm a rookie officer. Can't really say anything, you know. I'm out going to calls. I'm getting out of the car, writing reports, doing everything a two-man car should do while he's sitting in the car, basically asleep the whole night. Um, we got a call from the watch commander. Watch commander spotted on you fight on the street, a domestic fight between a man and a woman. Calls us. We're the only car available, although we're on what they call a personal 15-minute break. We're at a hospital. And uh, I tell him, I go in, I go in, I'm sitting in the squad car. I go in and tell him, hey, listen, uh, 
watch commander. The captain's calling us. He needs to call. He says, F him. We're on a personal. I said, listen, it's the captain calling. We need to get moving on this. He'll wait. I said, I'm going back out in the car and wait for you. I figure that'll speed him along. Right. I go back out in the car and, uh, Eventually he comes out, we get on the scene and the captain is furious. He's swearing, cursing. I know what I want to know what took you so blue, blue, long and blah, blah, blah. Well, we arrest a couple for fighting. Huh? I said you can curse, yeah. but I bet you don't. Well, I don't want to curse him, you know, on this podcast, so I won't. <laughs> but anyway, we arrest a couple and the captain wants what they call a two from. A two from report as to what took us so long to arrive. One of the explanations. And basically, two from report has a heading on it. You put on it to watch commander from officer so-and-so report, uh, subject, uh, explanation for what for lengthy arrival, whatever. So I kept asking this officer, and I'll call him by his name. He's dead now. It doesn't matter. Sam. I said, Sam, what are you going to put on this report? Don't worry about it, kid. I'll handle it. I asked him again during the night. Sam, what are you going to put on this report? Look, kid, I said I'll handle it. Okay, Sam. The next night I'm working the street. I'm working with another officer. Sam's off. I hear the watch commander with his booming voice get on the air and calls me in. Mm. The B car. Well, I think it's beat 425. Have 425 come in and see me immediately. Well, the guy I'm working with, our captain was such an intimidating figure. The guy I'm working with starts literally shaking behind him. Oh, my God. What does he want now? Well, I said, listen, just take me into the station. I don't think he wants you. I think he wants me. And I think I know what this is about. Now, remember, I still don't know what's on this two from report because Sam wouldn't share it with me. And you don't get to put one in yourself. It goes in one of them because well, he's the he senior. He does one, it? But again, Sam said, I'll take care of it. He's the senior officer. You know, when you're a rookie, you're basically told to shut up, keep your, keep your eyes open, your ears open and shut up and listen and learn. See, that so doesn't make me feel safe, okay? Well, if the rookies listen, are coming in and they're good guys, but they got these bad guys that they work with, then I can't, I'm not safe. Well, oh, Tanya, we'll talk about that later in this podcast. This is why you need to have an after field training officer program where you put your best people with the most impressionable people. If you have your best people training these rookies at the end of 10 to 12 weeks, you got two good officers. If you put an impressionable rookie with a bum at the end of 10 to 12 weeks, you got two bums in that car. So anyway captain calls me in and he's just glaring at me. And I said, good evening, captain. This is what you said. This is what you said took you so goddamn long to show up. Again, I don't know what's in the report because Sam wouldn't share it with me. And he's just going off. This, this is your excuse. This is what you're going to say. Finally, I tell him, captain, I haven't seen the two from. What do you mean you haven't seen the two from? So captain, I haven't seen the report. I don't know what's in it. I couldn't just own up to it, Tanya, when I didn't know what he put in there. He puts down on the report that we were asked by hospital security to write parking tickets on illegally parked vehicles around the hospital. And this is what took us so long. Now, I know that night that I didn't write any parking tickets. And I have a pretty good feeling that Sam didn't write any parking tickets either. Captain has a basket in front of him. Every watch, days, afternoons, midnights, has a basket for their citations. Each watch keeps track of the, the tickets that are written on each watch. Look in that basket and pull out the parking ticket you wrote last night. So I tell him, Captain, I didn't write any parking tickets last night. Well, find the parking ticket your partner wrote. I said, Captain, okay, I'll look through it. I look through it. And of course, I know there's no parking tickets from my partner there because I never saw him write any. And I'm pretty good judge of character. I have a pretty good feeling he didn't write any parking tickets and run out to the car to meet me before we went off to the captain's call. Well, of course, there's no tickets in there from Sam either. 
So this is what you're going to say. I said, Captain, again, I didn't know what he put in the report. I haven't seen it. I didn't know what he put in there. And the captain continued to berate me. And he told me, I wanted to show you how I could let somebody F you out of a job. Because right now I could fire you right now today for filing a false report. Now get out of my face and I leave the office. And the captain was right. He could have terminated me right then and there. Because when you're on probation or rookie, you can be terminated at any time for any reason. Well, maybe they were testing you to see if you were going to be a good old boy and be loyal to the cause. Again, I don't know what the purpose was, but clearly the captain saw through the BS written down on that report by Sam. Anyway, I didn't think anything about it. Went back to work. Finally, I get another partner named Sam, a younger guy. And we're working good. We got our own car. We're making a lot of good arrests and, you know, getting our What's name What's a good arrest? Well, you know, stuff like, you know, robbery, burglary, you know, crimes that affect people, you know. Um, we're making our presence felt on the street, talking to the citizens, doing everything that B-cops do. And... One day I'm working with Sam and Sam comes to get the car. He says, John, uh, this is the new, the different Sam, the younger Sam. He says, John, I can't work with you anymore after today. I said, what do you mean? He says, I got to get off the car. I said, what's wrong? He says, you haven't heard. I said, heard what? He says, Sam's going around saying you jammed him up. He took some suspension time. He says, it's your fault. And nobody, everybody's talking about in the station, nobody wants to work with you. And the guys are pressuring me and I got to get off the car. I can't work with you after today. And I'm like, hold it. Who is saying this? He said, John, when you go into the station, you need to ask some questions, find out who's saying it. He said, but I can't take the pressure. I got to get, I can't work with you anymore after today. So I go in the station and I'm asking around and people tell me, well, John, you know, that other Sam, the older Sam, Sam's going around saying you jammed him up, that you're no good. So I confront this older Sam about it. I said, Sam, why are you going around bad-mouthing me to these guys? And he just basically tells me, you know, you, you fucked me, kid. You screwed me. I took two days because of you. I said, Sam, how did I screw you when you wouldn't even tell me what's in the report? You lied. You told a blatant lie that anybody could see through, and you didn't even share it with me. Then I'm going to have the next day. You're off duty. I got to come and try and defend you when I don't even know what you put down, and you're going to blame this on me? I didn't know the captain had suspended him for two days for filing that false two from. Well, why couldn't you he know, get fired? Huh? Why couldn't he get fired? Because clearly you were not the first time Sam did some mess. It would be hard to fire him under that. You could suspend him, but it'd be hard to fire him. You know, when you have a union, it's hard to fire cops. You've seen that. Uh, you see it in New York. Look how long it took him to fire that officer that choked out Gardner. It took five years from the time of that incident until they finally terminated him. Everybody has a due process. And the unions, you know, Except they're, they're not going to get killed on the street. who get judge mm-hmm. and executioner on the street. They don't get any due process. Well, Tanya, those are different circumstances. But anyway. <laughs> I'm not going to let you off of that one. Because this is that brings me to this question. Why is Hold it on, always the male finish, police let me, officers? Let me finish my story, Tanya. <laughs> okay. For the next 18 story. months, for the next 18 months, Tanya, I did not have a partner. No one would work with you. Other than other rookies. I couldn't get a, a you know, the older guys would tell me, kid, we know Sam did, we know Sam did you wrong, but we can't afford to go against him. So you're going to have to ride this out for a while. It'll go away, but you're going to have to ride it out for a while. For the next 18 months, I didn't have a senior partner. I worked either alone, even on midnight, I worked alone, or I worked with other new people. Those are the only people I could work with. That's like some hazing, okay? 
That's like it some was hazing. Worse hazing. I mean, imagine being ostracized by all the senior people or most of the majority. And they're telling you that they know this guy's a bum, but they don't want to go against him. They don't want to have the And you want me to trust people who behave this way with my safety or my children's safety. Uh, I can't. Tanya, I could not tell you, but I dealt with it. And, and believe it or not, I really thought about quitting. Because when I got on the force, you know, I had a bachelor's degree in media communications. I worked at WGN here in Chicago. I worked WGN News as an intern. That's what I hoped to get into when I graduated from college. But unfortunately, when I graduated in 1981, you know, Reagan had just taken office. The economy was in shambles and I just couldn't find a job in my field. As a matter of fact, the day before I graduated college, I took the police exam with two friends of mine in college who actually wanted to be cops. I just took it for the hell of it. And they both failed the test. And I think my score was like 108 out of 113 points. And they hired me the following year. And I said, well, I can do this for a year or two till some things open up in my field, you know, where I studied in college. And two years went to five, five years went to 10. And, you know, I was making more money than all my friends in the civilian world. Then in 15 years, I made sergeant, you know, eight years, eight and a half years later, I made lieutenant. A year after that, I made commander. And again, I was making more money than all my civilian friends. So why would I leave if I'm earning more money? And I enjoy what I was doing. You know, I, I was a good cop. I enjoyed being out in the streets. I enjoyed locking up bad guys, you know, drug dealers, stick up men, rapists, uh, pimps, you know, all of that stuff. Okay, now I have have my question. Yeah, go ahead. Why is it that most of the people, cops, who, um, you know, fear for their life when they shoot people are men and not women cops? Just women get in shootings too. Not as many as men. Women get in shootings too. Yeah, the well, woman who like knocked this. on that, opened that guy's ho- door and shot him because she thought it was her house. The, the answer is real simple. Women are smarter at confronting potentially violent situations than men. What do you mean? Women know if they're going to confront a, a potentially violent situation, they're going to make sure there's adequate backup there. They're going to keep a protective distance. Men tend to rush in. Oh, I can take this guy. I'll deal with this guy. And next thing you know, it's a life or death struggle. At least that's how they perceive it. And next thing you know, somebody's shot. Women are much more cautious. Hmm. So you think they just don't get themselves into those kind of situations. Now, you said, well, let's me- just say, go ahead. They, they can size up a situation rather quickly and take the appropriate measures to make sure that they have the ups on their side before they'll go in. Okay, that's, a, that's yeah. an answer I wasn't expecting, but I can, I can work with that answer. That mm-hmm. women don't like walk themselves into a situation where they're going to have to kill somebody, potentially. Okay, that well, makes sense to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Now you sent okay. me, uh, well, we, we got to talk about this because it's just so hot right now. You know, Chicago, um, the, you know, Kim Fox and Smollett. Somebody made somebody mad. I don't think any of us are ever going to know the truth of that story. What went down there? That was part one of my conversation with law enforcement expert John Franklin, Chicago CPD. Come back for part two. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.